This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. This is Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Innovative thoughts from baseball's best coaching minds from around the world. Brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Now your host, former USA Baseball National Team coach, Peter Caliendo. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're at in the U.S. and around the world. Welcome to Baseball Outside the Box. I'm your host, Pete Caliendo. Thanks for joining us again. I know we were off for about four or five days. Apologize, but we had to take a break. Headed, we headed to South Carolina, North Carolina. And folks, we are moving there. Yes, from Illinois to South North Carolina. Why? Better weather, better taxes, better everything. So we are heading there and we are going to have some fun. And I need some time to relax, do the podcast more often and have some fun at the same time with some great weather. Um, but thanks for joining us. Don't forget, go to social media and forward everything that you can to all your friends in the game of baseball. Remember, we're in over 100 uh, countries and we appreciate everybody for what you do for us by sharing the show with everybody. So thanks so much. And special thank you to ESPN Honolulu, all our friends in Honolulu and all over Hawaii. Thanks for joining us on the show. we got a great one for you. Before we start, they, uh, I look back yesterday, uh, i got to mention this, started in 1936, May 3rd, 1936, DiMaggio's first game. Why? Because I'm a fan, obviously, of Jolton Joe. You can see the photo here. I've got a chance to meet him when I was at the Italian-American Sports Hall of Fame working there at the national headquarters. Just another, I won't tell you that story right now. We'll get into it later. And get this, May 4th, 1943, Ford Frick, National League President of Baseball. He demonstrated a new baseball um, to all the media in his office. He bounced it in the, uh, the carpet, on his carpet in the office, and it showed that the ball was 50% livelier, and that's when they started using that ball. Um, I believe it was named the, the, named the Ballada Ball. All right, so folks, a couple uh, things in history. Just wanted to throw that at you. And now for our special guest, uh, Jason and I going back and forth. We talked a little bit on uh, before the show. Very, very interesting. And you know that um, I bring in some products at times because I think that safety is so important. Um, and I bring you something I think that is going to be extremely good. Jason Colloran, uh, listen, he's worked with Charles Barkley, Mark Ryan, uh, Matt Ryan, excuse me, the quarterback. Um, he's the owner of the Elite Edge Training Center. He's the inventor of the kinetic arm, 18 years biomechanical consultant. Um, and we're going to get into this. He's also a local Chicago kid who played here, um, was at Oakton College, but also lived in Schaumburg. We're going to talk about all that. And let me welcome Jason to the show. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Jason, you there? Hey, Pete, thanks for having me. All right, sorry about that little technical issues to start off the show right away. A little fun. Um, first of all, thanks for joining us. And uh, hey, let's, uh, as I mentioned to you, you know, I love the audience to get to know you a little bit. So one way to do that is uh, let's talk about you. Quick questions, answering, you know, quick questions and answers. Let's, let's go with the uh, first thing, obviously, where you grew up. I grew up just outside of Atlanta until I was about 10. And then we moved to uh, Schaumburg. And bounced back and forth a little bit and, um, you know, eventually ended up going back to, to Schaumburg and, you know, the, that area to, to play baseball. And then when that was finished, uh, came back to Atlanta. You play high school baseball here? 
No, I, uh, that was when I moved down here. I started at Schaumburg High School, and then I moved down here and uh, started playing at Shamwick High School. Yeah, and then, uh, then you went to college. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the year after, uh, after high school, it wasn't, wasn't a, a big baseball school. We had a new coach every year. Um, so, you know, tough coming out of there. Uh, but I met, uh, you know, Mike Pino and, and uh, was fortunate enough for him to give me an opportunity at Oakton. Um, you know, had some tremendous arm issues, couldn't really throw and, and couldn't perform, you know, how I wanted. Um, and then, you know, just uh, some some kind of growing pains and life issues. So then went from there to to uh, Harper. And then I think after Harper, I might have ended up out at Judson, uh, had a great offer out at Judson and then kind of. So just kind of bounced around, but that was, I always joke and say that was my major, uh, was baseball. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was all our majors. I went to UIC, University of Illinois, Chicago, and um, I wish I had studied a little bit more because I was more interested in baseball. So uh, for all you players out there, make sure you study, boy, because uh, it's so important. Um, but make sure you do something you love, too. And, you know, speaking about something you love, what about, uh, you know, in college, what'd you study? What, what you know, what would you like in college when you were in college? What'd you like studying? Um. I didn't really like the, the traditional school model of, um, you know, learn something like, I mean, how many times did we learn about Mesopotamia and history? I mean, elementary school, high school, I'm like, oh man, I'm sick of this. So in college, uh, you know, I, I didn't really, I guess it was kind of boring because you learn about something, you take a test, you write a paper, you do another exam. Um, so I really just went to play baseball, but on the side, even, you know, during baseball season, uh, I started doing personal training. So I started that at about 17, just always fascinated, you know, with human performance and how things function. So, um, yeah, that's why I say I really, I really just went to school to play baseball and, um, you know, it's, it got me some great experience in college and ultimately baseball kept me on track. And that's, you know, the reason for the kinetic arm. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of how I got to where I am today. So definitely kept the grades up, but, you know, definitely had the interest in uh you know the way the body functions and human performance well that that's what i love about all this is that you know throughout your college career your high school you're growing up all this kind of leads into what you're kind of doing now but before we get into that um since you're you know big on uh you know human performance and all that what's your what's your daily workout what do you do daily for yourself oh it's tough it's tough to find the time i've um I always joke and say I've either had or rehab somebody through just about every injury you can think of. After I stopped playing baseball, I started uh, fighting and competing in tournaments. Um, so I'm a little banged up, had, you know, plenty of surgeries and injuries. So it's uh, I prefer uh, a lot of machine work. And I know the traditional strength and conditioning world, you know, would would oppose that because nowadays strength and conditioning is kind of all, you know, who has the cutest rep scheme of barbells and chucking medicine balls, which is just not very intuitive. Um, so with machines, you can utilize restraint and support. And that's a, that's a whole nother rabbit hole of, uh, you know, resistance mechanics and physics. So for me, it's very slow, controlled, um, high intent. And, uh, you know, I don't have anything to prove with trying to go heavy and, uh, the coaches that are having people max out, I had a coach do that and I ripped my pec right off the bone. So, wow. Think well, about I'll tell you, it. What, you, you kind of fooled me a little bit cause you look pretty big and pretty good shape. Um, you know, I don't know if that's natural or from the past, but, you know, I'm still, you know, I'm looking at the screen here and you're a lot wider and stronger than I am. So you're doing something good. What, what, uh, what about, uh, you know, is there something you follow nutritionally? No, I just try not to eat uh, 
anything processed. Um, for me, you know, growing up, uh, I didn't realize how much sugar and dairy affected me, um, whether it's a food allergy or, you know, triggered my asthma. Um, so I've, I've cut out, you know, dairy, gluten, sugar, and for athletes, that's, you'll notice an incredible, incredible difference, um, because those things contribute to, you know, inflammation. So, um, you know, I'm drinking a lot more, a lot more water now. We actually, I call myself a water snob. We have a, a water delivery service. Yeah. There you go. So, so just, just trying to eat clean and, you know, cook the, uh, cook the meals as much as I can. Absolutely. Love it. And listen, finally, Jason, just so the folks get to know you a little bit, um, you know, as far as, you know, maybe somebody that you, uh, you know, learn from a lot, you know, a mentor, um, what maybe what you learned from who it was, anything, anything like that? I'd say that the two biggest programs that had an impact on um, where I am today and, and how I've been able to help people. Um, I went through the MAT internship out in Denver and took all the master's level classes. Um, Matt Bernier, he did an incredible job teaching, you know, where all these muscles attach, what their functions are, how the roles change through movement. And then uh, a program called resistance training specialist, uh, Tom Purvis. I took their master's level classes in Oklahoma city. Um, so MAT, I learned all about internal performance and RTS was all about external performance. So now I can actually bridge the gap and find out, you know, what's not firing right internally, um, you know, get it firing again. And we test it with a digital dynamometer and then we can reinforce it externally. So it's kind of, you know, bridging the gap between internal and external performance. Hey, I got to ask you about this one and then we'll get into the kinetic arm. We'll get into some of your training. It doesn't be a lot of fun. I think a lot of great learning because I, I was watching some of the videos and I really love some of the things that, uh, that you're doing. Got to ask you, Charles Barkley. I love the guy. Um, outspoken, you know, just tells you, tells it the way it is. Um, I'm not, a, you know, I don't follow basketball much, but I, I like Charles Barkley, um, working with him. How was that like? It was incredible. He was, he was my favorite as a kid. And, and there's a funny story about, uh, when he called me out of the blue, the phone was fuzzy and I didn't hear his name. Right. Um, I was calling him Chaz Bentley. And, uh, finally we got it, <laughs> we got it straightened out. Um, but man, he would come in, you know, two hours a day, we would do, uh, you know, the manual muscle testing, do some isometrics. And then, uh, that's also when he and Shaq were having their, you know, kind of feud on the show. So we would also do uh, a little bit of striking, a little bit of grappling and, Man, he's he's an animal. Um, I mean, his thigh bone, his femur is like a, a baseball bat. It's I'm just he's just a large human and he hits pretty hard. Um, yeah, so it was it was just a blast. I mean, he's he's the most polite, um, you know, caring individual. He'd come in and introduce himself to everybody. Um, yeah, just an all around, just incredible guy. Well, you know what? Yeah, I can I can see that. I can see where he's a lot of fun, kind of like Shaq. Um, I think both of those guys are great that's why they're great on television um yeah. all right folks uh listen uh, here's what we're going to get into because i love this uh, brand new product the kinetic arm i say brand new a lot of research um let, let let's talk about you had your career uh you've had some injuries um you know you, you were t telling me about your mom you know during college you know she had an aneurysm you know luckily she survived that um so you struggled had some struggles all this kind of leads into um, what you got into and what you're doing now. So tell that story a little bit. Yeah. So for me, baseball, um, it kept me on track. Um, we couldn't afford to play growing up. So I was sponsored to play and 
and that's a big, a big thing I really want to do and, and give back, you know, when, when the sleeve really starts to hit its full potential and, you know, keep young kids on track. Um, you know, I've had a lot of friends that went down other paths and a lot that, you know, aren't with us today because of that. Um, so the, the fact that baseball kept me on track and, uh, I mean, at one point when I was at Harper, I think I was getting, you know, three or four hours of sleep a night, um, you know, falling asleep in the dugout because I was working, I think I was bouncing at a nightclub um, in Schaumburg. I think it was alumni club mm -hmm. back then. So, um, but just the, you know, how much I put into it because ultimately I thought, you know, I've got the size, I've got the power, um, needed some coaching and fine tuning, definitely. Um, but, you know, my dream was to be able to take care of my family and, uh, you know, help us all because we, you know, we, we had the divorced home. We had, you know, the single mom raising four kids. Um, you know, so we, we kind of, it was, it was tough. Um, and there's a, a lot of interesting stories. We could go down rabbit holes there, but, um, you know, just to, just to have that opportunity to play, uh, I was grateful for. So if I can, you know, use the kinetic arm to, to help kids or high school athletes get into college or college to pro. And we've got a lot of pro guys using it now to prolong their career. Um, even Alan Loper, I don't know if you know him from uh, men's leagues. He's in his 33rd season. He thought he was going to have to stop. And now he's able to pitch pain-free wearing it. So um, the, the stories and the feedback that we've gotten with, you know, canceled Tommy John surgeries and expedited rehabs, um, that's, a, that's the big why behind it is to give back um, because baseball taught me so much about life and, you know, if we can keep kids on track and on the field and, and having those experiences and, um, you know, that's, that's the ultimate goal. So what was your major injury? What, what caused the, you know, the, you think caused the injury you had? So every year my arm would start out great. Um, and then a big problem in baseball is communication. So if I get to a, a new program or, you know, we're having the tryouts, um, you know, I'd come out guns blazing, throwing as hard as I can. But if the coach would just say, hey, guys, I just want to see, you know, your baseball mind. You know, where's where's your thought process? What are you thinking? Kind of your baseball IQ, you know, throw it 50 percent or I just want to see your footwork. Um, you know, so that was and maybe that's my fault. But, you know, in my experience, if you ask a coach a question, that's another problem is these big egos. Um you know, then all of a sudden it's an issue and they think that you're challenging them. And I had that happen several times. So, um, yeah, breakdown in communication. Uh, I felt like I always had to work harder than everybody else. And I feel like I, I accomplished that. But with that, you know, you have to work smart as well. So I just had a lot of overuse injuries. And I, it's funny, I came across a picture, a picture of uh, myself and a friend in the, the Oakton dugout. And I had a, a 10 pound bag of ice from the gas station on my arm. And it just brought back those memories um, you know, and then having a chance to, you know, play professionally when I went out to, to Texas, um, you know, I couldn't even flip the ball to the pitcher from first base during, you know, PFPs. So I kind of joke and say I was a, a batting practice champion, um, because, you know, when it came to it, I, I just, I couldn't throw, um, you know, I was doing the, the weighted ball and plyo ball thing, you know, way before it was kind of mainstream and I'd get the velocity increases and then my arm was trashed. So that's uh yeah it was just kind of a, a repetitive you know elbow and shoulder injury that I couldn't get to go away you know and this obviously leads into the kinetic arm and folks we're going to talk about the kinetic arm in a minute here um I want you to know that uh, at the ABCA this year 2020 
one uh, 22 best they were the best of the show for the most innovative product at the ABCA and also uh, highlighted in the inside pitch magazine um, so I think that's a great accomplishment when the ABCA um, does that for you you know Jace uh, you had the you know you here you are how do you come up with something like this how do you where does it start I mean what do you think I'm going to develop some kind of arm or you know, some sleeve, you know, there's some technology out there, obviously that's out there already doing a few things, maybe not, not like your product, but um, talk about how we even come up with something like this. Where did it start? So going through, I always wondered why there wasn't something to protect the throwing arm. Um, I mean, we have, you know, sometimes people will say, well, that's a performance enhancer. Okay. Well then, so are batting gloves because they help you grip the bat. Um, we've got helmets to protect the head balls thrown around probably 300 plus times. How many times does someone get hit in the head? Not many. So, uh, we've got cups, we've got elbow guards, we've got this oven mitt, you know, for sliding, which is kind of ridiculous. Um, you know, you could say, if you don't want to break your fingers, don't slide head first. It's that simple. Um, so with, with this device, I remember walking through the airport and I, I saw a Bleacher Report article about the Moda sensor and it said the sleeve that could save baseball. And mm -hmm. I always have to know why something works, how it works. I'm a, I'm a big nerd. Um, so I read about it. I saw, you know, at first before I understood it, I thought it was kind of an arm pedometer telling you how many times you threw, um, you know, and then come to find out that's what we use to gather a lot of data. But it got me thinking, well, I know where all the muscles attach internally. So how could we reinforce those externally because once our internal components are done it's not like a new car where we can get new parts when your elbow or shoulder you know the the connective tissue the joint structure when that's done you're done you can't play anymore so muscle strength is like a bell curve if you look at uh like a tensile strength so it's mid-range or the strongest end range it drops off and uh a way to look at that is you know you never want to go all the way down on a pull-up because it's harder to pull from that position or a bicep curl you try to keep it in the middle part where you're stronger so i thought okay if i can reinforce that last part of the range because remember muscles stabilize joints so if our muscles have the least ability to stabilize the joints at end range that stress goes to the passive connective tissue which is going to be the ligaments on that medial elbow so I thought, okay, if I can get the tension to pick up at the right time in the right place, we can potentially have an external muscular system that's going to offload stress from the shoulder and elbow quite a bit. So it actually took about four years. Um, I had an industrial sewing machine in here and made the most ridiculous looking contraptions, but they worked. So then when we started gathering the data with the motor sensor, we were seeing, you know, it was, um, you know, a 20 to 30% consistent stress reduction. And those are the videos that we have on YouTube. So you can see it pitch by pitch. So there's really nothing to uh, nothing to dispute. Um, now that's the driveline pulse. So yeah, after all that testing and um, man, it's it's a lot of work to get a product to market. Um, and we're still, you know, people are still kind of uh, not believing that it works until they try it on because they think, oh, that's not possible. It's like, well, we have protective gear for everything else. Um, you know, now they try to develop these external robotic muscular suits for, you know, for lifting or manual labor. But um, that's why I say it's the first multi-joint dynamic stabilizer. So the reason compression sleeves don't work or anything that addresses just the shoulder, then the elbow is going to have more stress and vice versa. So that's why you'll see it bounce back and forth. So um, on our lower body, we have a muscle called the sartorius. So if you're ever at a trivia night and they say, what's the longest muscle in the body? There's your answer. It's the sartorius. So it crosses the hip and the knee. 
So when you lift your knee up and then turn your thigh out so your foot goes out, what that muscle does when it shortens is it externally rotates the femur, your thigh. So I've essentially developed that muscle for the upper extremity. Jason, you got a lot of data. I know I read that, you know, all the data you had, you, you, you talk about the, you know, the um, modus sleeve also. Um, before we get into that, a uh, couple people that know you on uh, LinkedIn, Dr. Kevin McGovern um, <laughs> says, hello, Troy Tucci, great to see you both. And he didn't know that uh, you were in Schaumburg at one time. Um, and then Brad Robinson just says, hello. Um, if, folks, if you got any questions, we had to jump over to LinkedIn. Uh, if you got any questions there, just type them in the uh, comment section. I will be glad to uh, ask Jason those questions. You know, the, the other part of all this is the medical part. Um, okay. Have you had medical people look at the product and research it, you know, and, 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 and endorse it? Um, because I think that, you know, that's always a concern, right? What's the medical industry say about it? So that's the, that was my first my first goal is to get the backing from the medical community. And we, we have quite a bit. Um, we have several, I'd say plenty of physical therapists that are using it in clinic, um, you know, for uh, after like a labrum surgery or some kind of, you know, shoulder procedure or after Tommy John, because now we have a way where we can strategically offload stress and progress them back to the regular weight of their arm and the ball. Mm. So we can get them, you know, back to play safer. Um, Dr. Lehman was the St. Louis Cardinals orthopedic surgeon for 22 years. He just retired. Uh, when we met, he was, he was pretty ecstatic about it. And uh, we have a mutual friend that said he called the Mets and was telling them they needed to put it on DeGrom. Um, so he's, he's been a great supporter. We have a lot of physical therapists, um, a lot of DPTs. Uh, so on the website, we have some great testimonials. Um, and then as far as orthopedic surgeons and chiropractors, same thing. Um, the ones that, that understand the way the body functions, they're pretty excited about it, especially since we have a lot of data using uh, motor sensor, which is now, you know, driveline pulse. So we've got some with that as well. Um, so Javi Jesus has been, you know, collecting quite a bit with uh, pitch AI as well. Um, and then a guy, Lance Dobbins, that's an instructor in Texas and now Jacksonville university. So, uh, we've, we've got quite a few places that are collecting data and I didn't, I didn't ask for it. They just started collecting it, you know, to make sure that it worked. So, um, yeah, the, the medical community backing, it was my, my first priority, um, because kind of the, the gatekeepers for these teams and programs is usually the athletic trainer. So then, then the challenge can be, okay, is the athletic trainer going to understand how these things function? Because we all have a limited skill set. you know, trainers do orthopedic surgeons, they, it's kind of medieval carpentry. They don't, I think they should have to go through every surgery they perform because in my experience, it seems like they don't understand the rehabilitation process. Um, and then with physical therapists, you know, on the resistance mechanics side, sometimes I have to explain the way things function and, um, you know, moment arms and the physics component and things like that. So yeah, it's been, it's been great having the backing from the medical community for sure. Awesome. And uh, you mentioned, uh, and I want to bring this up because you mentioned the uh, rehab. I hate that word. I don't know why. And the reason I hate the word rehab, because you know better than anybody, you know, as a, as a novice, I'm always thinking, why do we want to go through rehab? If we work a little harder, you know, in prehabbing, right, or reducing the stress, as you say, we you wouldn't have to work 10 times harder in the rehab program, because that's what it looks like all the time, right? People go through Tommy John, and all of a sudden they go through the rehab, and that rehab is not easy. You know, it's a lot of work. Obviously, it takes over a year at times. Um, 
And what I love about your product, and I saw the video, and you mentioned the 30% reduction in stress. Uh, obviously, that's important, right? Um, can that get better as maybe the, the sleeve, you know, becomes a better product or you learn new things? Or are we only stuck at 30% reduction in stress? That, and I say only, I don't mean that in a bad way. That's a good thing. But can mm -hmm. we get to the 60 to the 90 eventually? Well, so here's the thing. That depends on uh, how much effort you're putting into it. So when I did my testing, I tried doing a, like a rate of perceived exertion. So I, I'd say, Pete, I want you to throw at 70% of your max effort. And we're seeing, you know, up to a 12 mile per hour difference with 70% with the same right. athlete. So, um, you know, in the case of, you know, Alan Loper in the men's league, he's not throwing as hard. He just hit spots. And for him to throw six or seven innings pain-free with no soreness, I think we're definitely offloading more stress in that scenario. And mm. most of the schools I've been to, the coaches that throw batting practice or instructors that throw batting practice, they're able to throw 700 balls and not be sore. So, and we got to remember that that 20 to 30%, that's only what the sensor picks up. That's not including what the structure of the sleeve itself is actually taking on as well. And uh -huh. then there's no technology out there that could measure how much it offloads the shoulder. So I don't know if you saw the, um, I call it a multi-axial theoretical model, which is a fancy way of saying it's a mannequin with an arm. And I have uh, a digital dynamometer where I, I put it on there and I show you how it just drops. And then I put the sleeve on and I pull back so I can show you how many foot pounds of force it can offload per degree of range. And wow. I've been around, uh, I don't want to say the medical industry, but the rehab kind of realm and of course, you know, physical training. And I've never seen a product that was able to demonstrate anything like that. Um, so I think in with, if you're throwing with less than, you know, 90, 100% effort, absolutely it's going to offload a lot of stress and folks this sleeve is new to me so that's why i've got some a lot of questions and i'm sure hopefully i'll answer you know i'll ask a lot of questions that you have on social media you know jason the other part is does does the sleeve okay if i understand correctly deceleration is one of the major issues because we're not really strong on the back side right so when we decelerate if you don't decelerate properly or you're not strong enough that, that injuries can occur, whether it's elbow or shoulder. Um, so does this sleeve adjust to according to your strengths and weaknesses? So uh, front side, back side, or wherever the you need to be strong in, does this adjust so that way it compensates for your weakness? Yeah, so that's an excellent question. So it's, it's very easy if you, uh, let's say you're just starting your throwing program. Um, or you have a shorter arm slot and you got to make a lot of throws as a catcher, position player, or even pitcher, you can shift it towards your glove side and it's going to give you a little bit more stored elastic energy. So it can offload more stress. And if it's, you know, restricting your motion at all, all you have to do is shift it back. That's the great thing about being an athlete and, and feeling and knowing how your body should feel with your mechanics. And then at the same time, if you have an issue with the backside of your shoulder with the decelerators, all you do is shift it towards a throwing arm and then you'll feel it kind of help and put the brakes on sooner. So the reason that's a good thing is because muscles will shut down from stress, trauma or overuse. And what happens is you're still going to do that motion, but the other muscles are going to have to work harder. So if we can offload the muscles that have to work harder and slowly reintegrate the muscles that are shut down because they're overstressed, now we can integrate them back into that movement and potentially prevent, you know, an overuse injury or, you know, a surgery. And the obvious, you know, comment here would be, you know, 
kids, players, whoever it may be, whatever age, you still need to work on your strength in a certain area. You want to balance everything. The sleeve is there to help you reduce the stress, but you need to still work to make sure that certain areas are strong, correct? Yeah, so you're still going to get the benefit of throwing as far as uh, like the adaptations with the connective tissue and the muscular system. So um, I also I made a video I haven't posted yet, but I put a ball in the hand of that mannequin and pull it all the way back and let it go. And it gets to here and just falls just to illustrate the point of you still have to generate a great deal of force to throw that baseball. We're just protecting you in the most vulnerable range. So we're not taking away from any of the benefits of, you know, what some people call chronic workload or building up kind of your, your endurance with throwing. Um, I think that it's giving us a better opportunity to build up um, the rest of our body without trashing our arms. Because if we can get out there and be more explosive from the ground up without overstressing our arm, because if your arm hurts, you got to stop. So if we can train the body longer to be more explosive, that can help make our mechanics more efficient and we won't be leaving that arm behind, which, you know, can often cause, uh, you know, that slap labrum tear. So just by having everything else be stronger and still putting the arm through that motion, um, you know, that's a, that's a big win. And that's uh, Gary Whitlock from the Red Sox. He was saying, you know, that's his favorite time to use it is for recovery days because he can get out there and throw and he knows he's not going to overstress his arm. And just like, you know, he and Chris Sale were talking, you only have so many bullets. So, um, you know, for a lot of pro guys, that's been their feedback is, uh, you know, for throwing plyo balls because it is more stress. Um, whether or not you can handle it is a different story. And I've had plenty of guys in my facility that I've helped rehab after injuries from some of these popular weighted ball places, some of these popular online training places. Um, so I see, I see what programs, uh, you know, have some, some big faults and which don't, but of course they're just going to tell you about their successes, but I'd love to see some reports on injury rates after those. Yeah, and I love the part about you mentioned recovery, that it's so good for recovery because recovery is one of the most important things after pitching um, is how you come back, right? How quick you come back. Now, does the sleeve as you tighten it, I think, if I remember right, um, does this make your arm go faster? That might be a um, dumb question. No, no, it's a great question. So the you'll notice if you have one or if you see guys wearing it, there's a little bit of extra material on the front. And the reason is because we don't want that tension to pick up too soon. So it's going to help you more in the back part of that layback phase. It's not going to restrict motion. And again, if it does, you can just adjust it. Um, but it's not necessarily going to help your arm move faster, but it will help create a more efficient arm path and a more repeatable arm action because you're not getting tired and it's not letting kind of that front side fly open. So it kind of keeps everything intact, keeps your arm on the right, you know, kind of on the right track. So that way, when you take it off, um, the feedback we get is, you know, guys will say they feel like the ball is jumping out of their hand or, you know, it's, it's more effortless. Um, and sometimes we'll see when guys take it off, their velocity goes up. Very interesting. Um, you know, uh, Troy Tucci has this question. I think it's a good question from a standpoint. What, how young are we talking about starting kids in this? So right now it fits um, – it fits down to about five, five, one twenty. We're finishing up the kids version. Now. Um, I know that travel ball starts at nine years old now. Um, and some of the emails I get from parents talking about my kids, nine or 10, he throws this hard on the radar gun. And I'm like, dad, you're a psychopath, throw away the radar gun, chill out. You know, he's a kid, 
But, um, you know, if we can have this to help them and another thing is growing pains as well. So if we can, you know, almost make it an imperative piece of safety equipment from a young age, because when they have what's called Severs disease, Oshkosh slaughter, so an issue with the heel, the knee, uh, maybe the hip, they lose that ground reaction force. So the arm is going to have to work harder to compensate. And that's why we get the Little League elbow and Little League shoulder. And not everybody has a good practitioner that they can go see and correct these imbalances. So if this leave can offload stress and get them through, um, you know, their developmental ages and, uh, you know, the growing pains, um, that's, that's going to be an incredible thing because, you know, again, baseball got me to where I am. So, you know, to be able to keep kids on the field and uh, enjoying the game, that's, that's the ultimate goal. Jason, uh, our good friend Michelle Paulson says, asks, you know, and then this is, uh, what's your website? Because I know you got demonstrations of the sleeve on uh, the website, plus YouTube you might have where people can see the sleeve and, and, and how it works and all that. So the kineticarm.com is the website. And on the reviews tab and also on how it works, we've got um, a video where I explain all the data, um, explain some, you know, shoulder structure and function just to help out and, and um, kind of eliminate some of the information out there that's harder to understand. Um, so giving some good visuals with a skeleton where muscles attached, but really looking at the data and, and um, you know, how it works. And then on the website, we've got some, some video breakdowns of frequently asked questions because it's been a challenge having, we're, we're not like with Evo Shield, it was kind of making a better light bulb. You know, we made some better customized pads to absorb force. With this, it's a product that there's nothing else that exists like it. Um, so that's, that's been a challenge is, you know, showing this new concept and this new thought process. Um, so we, we always try to make videos for questions that, um, you know, may be complex that I can illustrate, you know, with the skeleton or with the sleeve. So if anybody has suggestions for, you know, questions, um, or things they'd like to better understand, definitely, you know, fire over a, a message or email and I'd love to put out some more content and help out as much as I can. Absolutely. Folks, we're going to put everything on the show notes. We always do. We'll put, uh, you know, uh, Jason's email again, the kineticarm.com. We'll put all the information so you can get a hold of them. Uh, you know, the other part of all this, and, and it's crazy what I, I just don't, you know, it's kind of like our school systems in some ways. Um, we're always concerned about the higher levels, you know, um, you know, the universities and all that, but you know, we forget about the kids, you know, and injuries from a common sense standpoint, we say it on the show all the time. I don't think it takes uh, a, a genius to understand this. They don't start in college. They don't start in pro ball. They start when they're five, six, eight, nine, 10, 12 years old. No, it's an, it's, it's a constant thing from throwing incorrectly to lack of strength and all this kind of stuff. So the sooner you can get something like this on young kids, I would think the much better. No. And I, I was actually just uh, showing someone a research paper yesterday. Um, it says it's something along the lines of adolescents that played, you know, baseball and had any kind of elbow or shoulder injury are 7.5 times more likely to have, I think it was, I don't remember if it was surgery, um, but a major injury down the road. Um, yeah. And I also had a, an email from a parent asking about this weighted ball program for kids. What? it's completely ridiculous. You can actually twist the humerus called humeral torsion. So now we're getting, you know, musculoskeletal adaptations um, that we don't necessarily want. So they might think they're getting more an external rotation. Um, 
but I mean, this, you know, it's, I understand it's a money grab for a lot of these, a lot of these businesses. And it, it kind of makes me sick. Um, I definitely, you know, I never name anybody. Um, but to see some of these programs, especially some where they're talking about how much range of motion you should have. I mean, I've had, you know, I've worked on stroke victims that we got something to move that hasn't moved in 10 years. My brother was told he'd never walk again. He was in a coma. I got him walking again. The doctor said it wasn't possible. I've had traumatic brain injuries. Um, so to think about motor learning or training athletes, when I see, you know, all these experts on social media arguing about how to train, you know, able-bodied athletes, it, it's entertaining and disappointing at the same time. Um, you know, it's, I understand, you know, they got to make their money. So they got to put out a lot of content. Um, and that's kind of, you know, that's where a big piece for baseball is going wrong is, um, you know, content is king and, uh, you know, whoever's putting out the most gets the most attention. And we've got to remember that just because somebody's at the top of the mountain, it doesn't mean that they belong there. It just means that they have more free time and more marketing dollars. And then, sorry, go ahead. No, no. And you brought up a good point because I want to hit this real, uh, real quick on the, on the weighted balls. We've had experts on the show before and a lot of good friends that we've talked about this. Um, what's your recommendation on the weighted balls? You have to wait. I mean, like I would think from a novice standpoint, I would think, you know, make sure that you're one fundamentally looking good Two, your strength is good. And at a certain point when maybe when you're 15, 16 or somewhere in that area, is that a good time to start on the weighted balls or do we even need to mess around with weighted balls? What's your, what's your opinion, expert opinion on this, I should say. So expert is a very subjective term. Um, if they call themselves an expert, I, I would say they're definitely not. Um, unless they understand the physiological adaptations that occur, uh, they have no business applying more load with a ball that we're throwing. Now, structurally, when we bring the arm back, so we've got the weight of this plus your hand plus the weighted ball, and then the humerus torques forward, right? So we get that separation force, what's called a dynamic valgus at the medial elbow. So to add more weight, to that, structurally, it doesn't make sense. Now, in sports, we would die to get that last winning run. We all we all know it. And it, you know, sports by definition should be anything not good for your health. That's why we have a whole division of sports medicine, right? So everything that we can do to minimize damage is going to be good. So for me, the only thing I would have kids do with a weighted ball that doesn't violate structure and function, and again, the elbow is a hinge joint, it does flexion, extension. That's it. That's what it does. We've got an axis going through there. That's it. So I would stand up and I would fire straight down because we're doing extension with the elbow and we're also getting forearm flexion. So with that, we're not putting the stress on the medial elbow. So that's, you know, I've, I've seen a, an ad for a program, medicine ball mastery. There's nothing to master about a medicine ball. It's mass. Just like when you drop it, it goes down just like a kettlebell or dumbbell. So when these people are trying to take, medicine balls and foam rollers and make them something they're not it's pretty ridiculous and the same thing is done with weighted balls and again I was chucking one in college and yeah my velocity went way up and my arm didn't it didn't last it didn't hold up so to start with this with kids to me anything but extension like this is you know dangerous and then again what, what, you know what's the, the Jace what's the extension do for our folks like what what are we doing when we do that with a weighted ball what does that do for the arm so the biggest thing it doesn't do is put stress on the medial elbow. So when we're okay. firing it down with the tricep, for me, the biggest advantage is finishing with the forearm flexors, right? Because the forearm flexors here, that's the only thing that crosses over, 
you know, the, the ligaments in the medial elbow. So the UCL. So there's also another good study from uh, Brittany Dowling and Ben Hansen when they were with MODIS called fatigue unit models. So they were showing that the more fatigue the forearm flexors get, the more the UCL stress goes up. So if we can just do that motion with a weighted ball to increase the threshold and strength and endurance of those forearm flexors, we can better protect the medial elbow. But if we're out there throwing it and doing things like that, um, you know, if it's more load, how is it affecting how much that arm is getting left behind? Because now we're putting more stress on that labrum, causing a distraction force. So it's, it's one of those things kind of like in the strength and conditioning world, people are still obsessed with barbells. Barbells are terrible tools for training athletes. There's, it just shows they don't understand how many other ways we can apply force and how many ways we can change force angles to get the desired outcome that we want. So, you know, it's, it's disappointing to see that it's come down to, again, the, you know, the cutest rep scheme of chucking and slamming medicine balls. And again, a lot of those, you're not even getting the hip shoulder separation that you're supposed to be working on. If you do a slow-mo of that athlete throwing with a baseball and then chucking a medicine ball, it's gonna be less, which is gonna tighten up that range and then they're going to tell you, you got to beat the crap out of it with a foam roller because you're tight or they'll yeah. start talking. They'll start talking about fascia. By the way, you need over 2000 pounds of force to get close to a 1% change in length. So for all the hitting and pitching instructors that are talking about fascia, shut up. You can't change it. You may as well talk about, I saw one, one certification fascial line training. Well, why is it not bone density training? Because that's also a physiological adaptation that we get when we apply stress or force so that's i could go on and on and rant about that we could get on the, the motion capture myth as well um but no but you bring up some good points you know and from the from the average person because you know obviously you've studied this you know 18 years biomechanical work um you know from my standpoint i, I always worry when i hear too many big words you know from a marketing standpoint you know like yeah. okay, I, they're trying to i get it like, look, people are educated, and you use some big words also. I mean, I don't have anything against that. It's I just that when, that, yeah, but 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 you but you also bring it down for the novice like myself to understand it. I think that's important. Um, where a lot of people don't do that, they just kind of use those words on social media and hope that people connect with them. So that just gives me a concern. But the the other part of this is we've had people on the show um, that we've talked about this and they mentioned, and, and I may be off a little bit, but they mentioned the UCL, you mentioned the UCL, the pressure mm -hmm. on there. Um, and I believe they had mentioned there's only, it can only handle so many miles per hour. I don't know if it was 89 miles per hour throwing or 91, whatever it was, but, got, but guys are throwing, you know, a hundred, 103, you know, Chapman's up there. The sleeve, is going to help that part. I mean, if there was a max and after that, you got to be careful. This, if this, the sleeve will actually help that, wouldn't it? The sleeve will, will help it last longer. So with somebody saying how many miles per hour a UCL can handle, there's a lot of variables that come into play. And again, if we've got these forearm flexors crossing over the medial elbow, that's our first line of defense. So that's what everybody needs to remember is muscle stabilized joints. So the more fatigued those muscles are, the more dangerous it is because that's the more vulnerable to injury that we are, or sure. yeah, that we um, you know, are kind of at risk. Um, so, you know, it's, you can't really make an absolute statement like that. I have seen uh, uh, a statistic that the UCL can by itself can only handle or snaps at 32 Newton meters of force. 
and that's kind of like foot pounds converted. But the thing mm -hmm. with that is, who's UCL? What right. if it's somebody that it has a little fraying? What if they're young? What if they're older? So when people speak in absolutes like that, always, always take it with a grain of salt because there's a lot of variables they don't take into consideration. And again, I'm the one that gets the athletes that are injured and beat up from these other programs. I'm not parading around acting like I got these guys drafted when really they just ended up training with them because, you know, they moved there, were in town, but they've been playing baseball their whole life. Um, so that's, that's always something to, you know, to take into consideration. You know, and with that, like baseball, you know, like picking players or predicting the future of a player, you know, it's an imperfect science. You can do all the great things. I mean, you can do all the work you're doing to prehab and an injury can still happen. We're not always sure why, um, but what's your recommendation for, you know, coaches that are working, starting off with young kids um, and then working up things that they need to be doing. And I know they can't get into everything because, you know, they don't have all the time many, many times, but what can they do to kind of prevent or reduce the ability to get an injury? What should they be doing? I would say one of the things they should not be doing is a lot of stretching. Um, so I can send you some studies where it shows that stretching actually decreases your force output. And again, if muscle stabilized joints, um, you know, mobility, which is a big obsession now, for what reason, I don't know. I think it's just a, a big word they want to throw around for marketing, but mobility without stability is vulnerability. So if, if I stretch my arm all the way back and it can't get there, I mean, there's not a pitcher on earth that can actively go all the way back to parallel to the ground like they do when they throw. So that's our passive range. So just because we have that range of motion, all it's telling you is we have that range of motion. It's not telling you internally what's contracting and if you're even able to produce force in that range. So they should be more concerned with what is your active range of control. And there's a skill set, you know, that goes with that. But as far as all the coaches and what they can do, um, you know, there's no, there's no reason for this. We're jamming that glenohumeral joint. We can be causing impingement. We're stretching out our forearm flexors, shutting them down. And those guys are supposed to protect that UCL. Um, you know, they can stop having these guys max out. There's no reason for it. It's, it's ridiculous. And I heard at a, you know, a pitching conference, the guy said, I believe in maxing out. We're not talking about unicorns and, and fairies. Like it exists. But if, if you want to have a guy do a five rep max, do five reps. And then incrementally build from there. But that's the, that's the tough thing with baseball is it's velocity at all costs. It's strength at all costs. Um, so that's a big one. Stop stretching the life out of, especially these kids. Um, and then as they get older too, same thing. And they got to remember that, you know, muscles tighten up for a reason. So I think they should work on, you know, have the guys do more side shuffles. You know, foot function plays a major role in force production from the ground up. I had a pitcher in here from Vanderbilt. He was throwing 100 miles per hour there. Then he was with the Rome Braves struggling to hit low 90s. And all the positional muscle tests I did with his foot and lower leg, he couldn't pass any of them. So the reason he was getting lat tears, and you, you, know, you see these, it's got to be your thoracic spine. No, there's so much that happens from the ground up. And because he couldn't push off with that rigid lever, his foot, it's almost like he's standing in a sand pit trying to push off and throw hard. So, of course, he's going to compensate lat tear, shoulder injuries. Um, and, you know, we were able to turn everything back on. We had a similar issue when, you know, Matt Ryan was coming in. Lower leg, some positions couldn't contract. Um, so I would say don't get caught up in, 
don't get caught up in the fads and the trends. Um, you know, weighted balls being one of them, unless you're, you know, you're just doing that, but you got to remember coaches have a tough job trying to supervise all these kids, especially strength coaches. Um, it's tough because there's a lot of little things that they wouldn't know to look for that can make a big difference. So I think, um, you know, training from the ground up a lot is good. Uh, trying to think of some other things that are, that are pretty easy when they're doing the band work, do it with intent because when you, again, muscle stabilized joints. So if we can put a little bit more force in the muscular system, it can better stabilize that shoulder. So you're going to feel better. You may even have more velocity, but you'll have better control. You're definitely going to function better. Um, but sometimes I'll see guys just kind of throwing their arms around and, you know, doing things like that. Um, so those are some of the things. Now what band work, I like that. So you're talking about more band work, less stretching. Um, but what about movement? All that's okay. You know, whether it's arm movements, shoulder movements, prior to throwing, things like that, those are good? Or, or what, what, what do you recommend prior to somebody throwing or pitch or getting warmed up to pitch? Yeah, the best thing, the best thing is going to be movement-specific, um, I guess, exercises, if you want to call it that, or motion-specific movements. So if you're doing that, like, for example, um, before I have my clients on the training floor, we start with a very light amount of resistance, whether it's a band, a cable, a dumbbell. And then we focus on that contraction and then we slowly build up from there. Um, there's a lot of kind of mindless and, uh, you know, with baseball, there's a lot of regurgitation. So it's, oh, my coach did this. And, um, right. you know, I've gotten some emails and texts with uh, feedback from some pretty ignorant coaches. And, um, you know, it happens. It's, you know, it's not always somebody that wants to be there. It could just be somebody that, you know, they're teaching social studies, could use the extra money or nobody else was there. Um, so it's, you know, if they would do less of trying to implement things, it's probably better for the athlete, but just movement specific, just get moving, get loose, um, you know, get the muscles kind of firing before you go out and try to use them. Jason, the kinetic arm, um, you know, utilize it first in practice, go into a game with it. Do you have to adjust it in a game? How does that work? Uh, you know, it's a new thing, right? I remember First time I wore, uh, we used to have the uh, regular cup, you know, and supporter. It was always uncomfortable. And then we went to the banana cup. That was a little more comfortable. But 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 as we had it on, it got more comfortable. But this is a little bit more complicated because you adjust it at times. How, how does that all work in practice and in games? So I put a kind of a rubberized inlay in the straps so that it won't won't move. Um, so you don't really have to adjust it in games. And as far as warm ups this is a much better way to progress up to throwing, you know, with more intent or throwing harder than stretching. So when you put this on, you can slowly, you know, start to challenge those muscles and get everything turned on. Um, so we've got a lot of guys that that's when they like it the most is for warming up, um, especially some of the pro guys because they're pretty banged up already. So it's kind of like, you know, they, they feel like they're starting an old Buick trying to get everything cranked up and got to warm it up. Um, but then in games, we've got a lot of uh, high school and even college athletes. They'll wear it during the game. Pitchers will put a, a sleeve over it, you know, just in case the, the blue lines on it are an issue. And, you know, the next model, we're doing away with that. Um, but we've had a lot of catchers wear it. We've had – usually they just wear it under their jersey, but we've had high school catchers wear it over their jersey with their catcher's gear. Um, we've had some hitters wear it on their lead shoulder if they had some uh, shoulder pain or labrum issues. Um, so you can, you can definitely wear it during the games. And we got to remember that uh, probably 
around 90%. I've, I've got another abstract that shows some good data, but probably around 90% of throwing is done outside of games. So even if it's just something you use in, you know, during practice, uh, warm-ups, when you're in the bullpen, the amount of stress you can take off your arm and prevent that damage, that repetitive microtrauma, it's just going to prolong your career and allow you to play longer. You know, and you may have mentioned that, and, I, and, and if, you, if you tell me this, I, I'm going to really like it. Um, are we saying also that the, the arm, the kinetic arm, as you have it on, it kind of gives you the proper arm path? I know everybody has their own. I mean, they can go down a little lower or whatever, but the, the, because now we're talking about, you know, doing this a thousand times or whatever it is, you know, over a certain mm -hmm. period of time and developing a good, good, good movement. Yeah. So, um, Jose Contreras came in, used to pitch for the White Sox, your Chicago guy. He's, um, excellent guy. So he heard about the sleeve two years ago from a mutual friend and said, no way that's not possible. Uh, he comes in, he had, you know, Norhe Vera, one of their prospects and his son. So he puts it on his son and it immediately cleaned up his arm path. And we've had that happen a lot because when kids they, are growing, they're getting used to these longer limbs that they have to control. So that's why they, you know, sometimes they'll kind of look like Bambi or like all these limbs are flying through space. So it helps eliminate unnecessary movement. Um, so it won't let you go too high where you're going to get impingement. And it also won't let your arm lag behind. So for, a lot of the professional pitchers um, that's big for them because they've got a lot of throwing to do. So uh, like Matt Rupenthal, he's uh, he was from Vanderbilt double a with the Astros. He just hit his all time highest in game velocity of 95 point something. Um, so, and then at uh, Ivy tech, you know, Javi de Jesus, uh, he played with Farnsworth. He was a Cubs guy. Excellent, excellent guy. So he said their velocity is actually still trending up. Whereas at this point in the season, it will be going down. So he's seen it firsthand with pitch AI um, and other you know, pieces of technology they use that it definitely is going to help your arm path. And the reason it sounds crazy, but internally, the structure, the lines of force are the same direction that your muscles attach. So we're not changing the way the body functions. We're just reinforcing it at end range. So even though, you know, some people say, oh, well, this person has a different arm path. Um, you know, this motion is longer. That's fine. We've got, you know, Garrett Whitlock is like six, six on the Red Sox an incredibly long arm action. And he got it dialed in, you know, pretty fast. Um, so, yeah, but it it'll, just stop, it'll, but it'll stop you also. We're going to, sorry to interrupt, but I think, because I want to make sure this, it'll stop you from doing something incorrectly. You may have yes. a, you may be able to keep your same arm path, right. But it stops you yeah. from doing something that, is incorrect, and I bring that up because I think this is critical, Jason. Um, every we talk about it. everything starts with the young kids. Look, we've got in the U.S. we've got volunteer coaches, moms and dads who mean well under the age of fourteen. I'm not talking about travel teams, um, but then we also have a large percentage of travel teams that we don't know who the instructors are. Some are good, some are average, some are just like any industry, right? You're going to have different ones, but the younger ones have moms and dads. Now, if you if you know, think about this. If you put the sleeve on these kids, you know how hard it is as a coach. I've got 40 years in the business and everybody thinks you can identify what a kid's doing wrong instantly throwing, right? Always doing this, always doing that. One, identifying it's not easy. Two, making the corrections not easy with all the different drills. This, you, you, you throw the sleeve on, you're done as far as correction. You don't have to worry about it. It's a safety net. And that's, that's uh, you know, a big reason for the youth version is because 
like you're saying, I mean, I, I remember a lot of coaches I had growing up that were, um, you know, they didn't know much about baseball. I remember I had one coach, you know, uh, I don't think he'd ever coached baseball, but it's incredible that they give the time, you know, they're very underappreciated and we, we greatly appreciate, you know, the time they put in. Um, so this is kind of a way to, to take a little bit off their plate to where, you know, all you have to do is put the sleeve on and it's going to restrict you from going into dangerous positions, but it's also going to help you create a more efficient arm path. So, um, yeah, that's, okay. why, that's why it's so exciting to me because my arm hurt from 11 or 12, you know, I was up there playing, uh, SAA baseball and, uh, you know, ride my bike to games and stuff. And my arm was always killing me even from that young age. So, um, when it starts there, you know, it's, it's going to be really hard to stop. All right. Where there's a, where there's major benefits, there's always some, you know, possible concerns. So I'm going to throw this concern out here, um, is pitch counts. All of a sudden now are people going to mm -hmm. say, Oh wait, we're reducing stress. So now we can pitch even more. Um, what do we say to those people? <sighs> we should say don't, um, you know, that's, that's America. We always want more. And with yep. baseball, we want, you know, velocity at all costs. And again, you know, sports are not the best thing for our body. Um, so for those coaches, don't do that. Uh, just throw them, you know, the same amount that you normally would. Um, that's, we're always going to have those challenges. And I remember hearing coaches say, oh, we're going to take 300 swings in the cage today. What the heck is the point of taking five good swings and 295 bad ones because you're tired? So, you know, more is not better. And again, I, I always made it a goal to train harder than everybody I played with. And that's why I ended up injured quite a bit. Um, I didn't know the right way. And that, you know, led me to learning the correct way and learning, you know, how, uh, how to help others learn to prevent injuries that just shouldn't happen. So, yeah, that's that, you know, hopefully we don't come into that uh, as a concern. Um, I think dads are already doing that in, in some places. Um, but hopefully they just, you know, throw them the same amount and, uh, you know, let the let the sleeve do its job. Hey, and uh, folks, uh, come on, let's think about this part. For, before you teach a kid how to pitch, teach him how to throw correctly. So how, how great would this be? This is going to speed up the process a little bit on, on throwing correctly. And then all of a sudden you can get more kids pitching. So that way we're not throwing as many pitches because we're using more pitchers. That's a great benefit. But what I love what you said, you brought up hitting. For years, I've always had a concern, you know, I'm not, a, uh, you know, I'm not science-based. I'm not a scientist or an, or, or an area, a person who studies this. But I always had a concern every time we're hitting. Is it, that's extension. Um, you know, I got to believe it can't be great for the elbows and the joints. So the sleeve is also for hitting, right? Yeah. It, so we actually have a lot of golfers and uh, tennis players that wear it too, because when we're hitting, the arm's coming through you know, into extension and also a little bit of internal rotation as well. So I'm glad you brought that up because that's, that's something that needs to be taken into consideration, um, you know, for throwing athletes is how many swings that they're taking. And that's, that's why uh, there's just such a, a limited knowledge base with these expert strength and conditioning coaches, because if we're already throwing baseballs, which is enough stress to cause an injury to the elbow or shoulder, and then you want them to throw medicine balls and directly put more stress through that shoulder and elbow. It shows that, you know, zero about resistance mechanics and where to apply the force. There's no reason we couldn't have a strap around here to work on rotation, flexion, extension, rotation, 
there's so many things we can do without stressing the elbow and the shoulder. But again, we have these medicine ball mastery classes. And at some of these big division one programs, um, at some of them, have, you know, they'll call and ask for advice, which is incredible. It's such a, such a shift from being an athlete where coaches know everything to now we'll get calls and say, hey, we're having some injuries. Here's our program. What do you recommend? Um, so kudos to those coaches because that's great. But for the other ones that think, you know, because this popular guy is all about chucking medicine balls, it's not a good thing to put more stress on something that's already overstressed in addition to, you know, taking the swings, like you said. It's just that's that's what they don't understand is, um, you know, there's a breaking point. Chase, you're talking about weighted balls. What about weighted bats? What about weights at the end of the bats? Um, are these things young kids should be swinging? It's I always um, my answers are always tricky. So it, it depends on the intention. If they're you know just wanting to build some strength, like you know maybe dad's got the kid out there swinging an axe. Okay, cool. But as far as that extra weight translating to a skill, uh, I don't know if you caught that episode of Sports Science where they used a weighted bat then went to the weight of a regular bat and it showed how it changed their timing. So that mm-hmm. wasn't a good thing. So I always say, you know, when they say throwing weighted balls, well, how are they throwing them? Um, you know, the dosage determines the poison. So, you know, more is going to be worse. Same thing with, you know, stretching or running or throwing or anything physical that is stress, really anything that, you know, puts stress into the muscular system, the nervous system. But um, yeah, it, it depends. I mean, if they're just having them do an exercise here to work on kind of strength and bat speed, okay. But as far as, you know, trying to hit a baseball that's pitched um, or even off a tee, it's going to change the mechanics because when you have more weight out there, you're going to have to shift your center of mass over what's called your base of support, your feet. Hmm. So basically, it's just balance. Your brain is going to orchestrate a solution for you to be balanced and not fall. So if it's changing that a little bit, you know, that could develop some bad habits. Um, but again, it depends on, you know, what your goal is and how you're using it. Troy Tucci, I did not forget you. We're getting close to the end here. You know, um, I'd keep Jason on all day, man. We could just keep going and going. Well, another guest we're going to have to have back for sure. Um, but, you know, let me, uh, Troy asked, what can we do? What can we be doing as a baseball community to promote better youth development and health in general? Oh, man, it's, if we can get these these coaches and dads to pump the brakes and realize the Yankees are not looking at your 10 year old. It's, they're not going to get signed next year. Um, You know, have them be active, you know, the, the best athletes. Well, again, I'm not going to speak in absolutes, but it's oftentimes the athletes that are, and they'll say playing different sports, you know, playing different sports is good, but really if they're out there, you know, chasing each other on the playground, moving, changing directions, what that's going to help do is kind of orchestrate those solutions for those movements in the brain. So what that translates to is we're going to say they have more coordination. So if they have more coordination, their motor learning is better. So then when you go to modify their swing or their throwing mechanics, it's going to be easier for them. And I remember examples of this, even in little league. So keep the kids active, keep them, you know, playing different sports, um, you know, keep them running around Uh, as far as, you know, preventing the injuries, a big thing is, you know, it's going to be tough, but we've got to back off on this stretching. We've got to take a look at the problem with, is we're looking at who made it, right? We're looking at who made it and didn't get injured. We need to be looking at those that got injured and ask ourselves why uh, on a, a podcast. Um, it was, it was with Kevin McGovern, you know, they brought up 
Tom Brady's trainer said, oh, what is he doing that's different? What is he doing? And I said, well, let's take a step back and think, what is it that he's not doing that's mm-hmm. making him successful? He's not having, you know, his athlete get under a heavy bar and squat. He's not having him do all these heavy movements because when you do that, think about a bodybuilder, how they're stiff. So that reinforces the point of if we're putting more load on the muscular system, the body is going to tighten up to protect itself. It's like an astronaut, all the muscle and the bone atrophies because there's no stress, right? This homeostasis back to seventh grade science. So the body wants to function as efficiently as possible. So if you challenge it with heavy weights, the response and the adaptation that we're going to get is bigger muscles, right? Well, with that, it also might limit our range because the brain knows if we're moving heavy loads or lifting heavy weights and we're going to end range, that's where injuries can happen. So we always have to um, kind of take a step back and, and think, you know, not about the guys that made it. And, um, you know, I always say for every superstar on the field, there's a hundred others just like them, but they maybe got injured. They made bad decisions, um, didn't have connections or, you know, there's, there's a multitude of reasons, but a big thing is take a step back and look at who got injured and maybe ask them, Hey, how did you get injured? Or what were your injuries? What contributed to it? What would you have changed? And there's um, a study, I think it was world war two with the fighter planes that made it back. They looked at where the bullet holes were in the planes that made it back to reinforce those areas. Mm. And that's pretty counterintuitive because those are the planes that made it back. Yeah. We should be looking at the ones that didn't make it back looking at where those bullet holes were and reinforcing that. So the same needs to apply to our bodies as an athlete. So there's a lot of thought processes, processes that need to shift. Um, A big one is, you know, chasing velocity. And I I understand it's a money grab for a lot of these programs. And now there's these youth plyo ball programs. Um, Just a big thing is make sure the kids are having fun. You know, that's to me, that's always the biggest thing. And, um, you know, baseball got me out of a lot of dark times in my life and it kept me on track and I honestly wouldn't be where I am today, but, um, you know, some, some guys that had the biggest impact on my life and kept me on track were, you know, little league coaches or guys like, you know, we talked about Steve Hayward up in your area over at strikes, um, and communicate with these kids. A big problem in baseball is communication. And I saw this with, uh, Fred Corral at Mizzou. You know, I went out there, met with him. He's walking down the line. Hey, I noticed you're not throwing too hard. Where are you at? They're like, oh, I'm at a three. My arm's kind of tender. Next mm-hmm. guy's heaving it. Oh, I'm at a nine, 10. I feel great. So just that little bit of communication can avoid so many injuries. Or coaches, when you get out there, say, hey, guys, I don't want you throwing 100% today. Um, you know, let's just work on going through the movements, working on plays versus, you know, when I got to Harper, we had this, this guy that I guess he was in the Marine Reserve's you know, 40 years ago. So we thought he was tough. And you say long toss every day. That's a pretty stupid thing to do. Would you, I mean, would you take your car out, drive the crap out of it as hard as you can every day and think nothing's going to break. And then when you have pain, pain is like a check engine light. That means that something's wrong. You don't drive your car faster thinking that it's going to fix the problem. So, um, you know, coaches in communication, um, because as an athlete, what a lot of coaches don't understand is we can't ask you questions because it might be taken the wrong way. And like mm-hmm. you and I were saying off the air, even when I was 19, 20, you're still a kid. Like looking back, I'm old. I'm, yeah. I feel like I'm 70 on the inside, 38 on the outside. But looking back, we don't, you know, a lot of us didn't have that structure. We didn't have that coaching. So if you see an athlete doing something the wrong way, maybe ask them, 
you know, hey, how come you did it this way versus another way? Maybe they haven't been shown that, you know, instead of having them do a couple hundred reps, which is just going to beat them down more. Um, and then, you know, these athletes that are trying to make you, you know, run for punishment and things like that. Come on, man, that's ridiculous. Or the coaches, I've had plenty that acted tough. Um, I, I'm pretty sure I tried to fight too. Uh, we won't get into that, but just, you know, <laughs> but there's no reason to have these egos in coaching. Just have fun. It's a game. You know, if the kids, if they, if they have a lot of ability, um, great, you know, pull them aside, work with them more. If you see, see a kid that's down, you know, go ask him, Hey, what's going on. But that's a, a big reason for unnecessary injuries in baseball is communication. And if you think that those pitchers or those position players are going to tell you, coach, my arm hurts, you're dead wrong. No, nope. they're not going to say it because you know what? They want to play. Maybe they don't want to disappoint the coach. They don't want to disappoint the team. But if you could have given them that extra one or two days off, you could have prevented a blowout. Chase, great points. I love the part that you brought in with the communication. Um, so I'm glad that you, you mentioned that. And, um, you know, when we're talking about to finish it off here, we're talking about the kinetic arm. You know, I, I wrote some notes, you know, talking about optimizing mechanics, increasing velocity, prevent arm injuries. Um, there's a lot to this. And uh, we'll have you back in another section. To, to, to cover more about throwing and pitching. What, what did you, what, what was something you wanted to mention that we didn't get a chance to talk about maybe to the coaches and parents out there? I know the communication was a big one, but anything else before we close off? Um, another one is don't get, don't get caught up in this technology. If you were to take your car to a mechanic because there was a problem inside the engine and he just watched your car drive down the street and tried to tell you what's wrong inside the engine. You'd tell him he was a fool, right? It's absolutely ridiculous. It's not possible to know is the timing off. Is it, you know, is there, is it spark knocking? Is it an exhaust leak? So when we see these motion capture labs that say, Oh, your arm dropped, it's this, you have no idea. They're taking a guess. I could use some big words, but it's basically, they see all this stuff flying through space I don't care if it's a thousand frames per second. They have no idea what is going on internally. All they see is an external satellite view. So just know that if you're having an issue, it could be foot function. It could be hip function. I had uh, Shane Green from the Braves come in. He had elbow pain and we found it was coming from his front hip. And it wasn't a flexibility issue. He wasn't able to hold a positional contraction. So it was a neurological issue. Now, there's no motion capture system or no piece of technology on earth that can watch you and tell you that. So wow. that's why, you know, having having a different vantage point and skill set, you know, 30 years of being a competitive athlete, 20 years with all the biomechanics stuff and getting to work with these broken athletes and also these high level pros. I had a kid from uh, the White Sox, Wilkin Cannon. You can look at I can look at him and see so many things that are wrong. So the fact that their medical staff couldn't find these issues is beyond disappointing. And these major league teams are cheap. They're hundred percent cheap. So don't think they're giving you the best care. Same thing with college. Don't think that because that's a college strength coach, they know everything they need to know. Um, but again, back to motion capture, you know, it's the motion capture myth. They have no idea what's firing, what's not firing. And that, you know, usually the solution is mobility, mobility, stretch it more. You got to remember muscles tighten up for a reason. That's a protective mechanism. They don't just tighten up for no reason. So always take that into consideration. People will say, um, you know, their hamstrings are tight. I had a client, she was an ultra marathoner. Her last run was 110 miles, multiple stress fractures in her feet, ligament tears. 
and she's complaining about her hamstrings being tight. Her hamstrings were the only thing holding her up. That's the only positions where she could pass a muscle test. So always remember if something's tight, there's a reason for that. And if you have a knot in your muscle, that's not a reason to beat the crap out of it with a foam roller or lacrosse ball. You know, it's, it's um, you know, eyewash is a term, uh, clinical theater is a term that I really like. So when you see these PTs, they got their rubber gloves on and they're slapping these athletes, calling it rhythmic stabilization and perturbation. These are athletes that <laughs> you're not benefiting them. If it's somebody fresh off, you know, traumatic brain injury, um, you know, stroke, like I've had the, the pleasure and opportunity of working with, um, you know, you find out that with athletes, there's such a low ceiling on that. And again, it's, you know, it's all about content and, uh, you know, it's a money grab. So if you have a question about something, wait, don't jump the gun and think, you know, just because someone has a big social media presence that they're good because they probably paid for that following little known fact. Sure. Um, so always, you know, ask why question everything, even if someone uses big words, uh, you know, watch out for them speaking in absolutes. That's, you know, that's kind of an indicator that there's a lot of variables they're not taking into account. And they're probably not going to take a lot of variables into account when they're working with you and training you. So um, that's the biggest thing is, you know, question everything. And I questioned, um, you know, everything. And that's how I was able to develop, you know, the kinetic arm ultimately, because I questioned that sensor. I said, nope, there's no way this is the sleeve that's going to say baseball. And then I understood how it worked. I used it to gather data. And here we are. So question everything. Absolutely. You know, and interesting, I agree with you. That's why I started baseball outside the box was to kind of think outside the box and not always listen to everything, but question everything and figure out, you know, if there's a better way to do this or if we're doing it correctly. And I, I'm going to go back and finally, our, our final thing, final thought here, you know, I'm, I go back 25 years ago. I'm not going to mention names. I started, I saw a way to program, you know, way to ball program. And I started it with some players early on. And uh, then about a year later, I'm thinking to myself, you know, that's great. I'm seeing velocity. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not one that studied this a lot, but I saw velocity. But my question was, do I know what's going on internally? And then you use that comment just now. We don't know internally a lot of times. And that's the biggest concern I have now. So finally, and this is, there may be no answer for this question because here we are. We got a lot of coaches working with young kids. We've got high school coaches. Yeah, you mentioned college. We don't have this expertise. So how, how does a coach, you know, this coach is going to have to find somebody like yourself to work with players. Is there any other thing that they can do? Um, I would say don't do too much of one thing. <clears throat> um, it's not, it's not that someone with my skill set is always needed, but to make sure you're keeping it fun because, um, you know, there's the mental aspect of it as well. So if you've got that stress to perform or that pressure, you know, that's, that's going to affect you physically. That's just another form of stress. So, um, just keeping it fun, keeping them moving and communicating. And then, you know, as a safety net, we'd love to get the sleeve on the arms and make sure that they're feeling okay. And, and, uh, you know, then they can get more game speed reps. I guess I should ask you this too. Um, one cost of the kinetic arm and for the younger kids, you said there's a, there's a new model coming out. That's going to have to be cost effective, but that's one of always one of the most difficult things in businesses, right? You want to make it cost effective so you can get it to the mass because you talked about helping people. Well, to help them, we got to get it to the real young kids because that's talk about a change in the game. When the sleeve is with young kids, think about this. 
over a certain period of years, three, four, five, whatever the years are, the dramatic change you're going to see in the game is going to be incredible. In my opinion, I think kids will stay in the game longer because it also make them more successful in, in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. And that, again, that's the goal is to make it an imperative piece of safety equipment. You know, you get your batting gloves, you get a new yep. glove, you know, you get your bats, you get your kinetic arm for the season. And the, the great thing about it is um, you can beat on it, wear it out and then throw it away. And you know that you didn't tear up the parts of you that you can't replace. So it's, it's kind of invaluable in that regard. And, um, you know, we've had guys like Otis Nixon come in and, you know, he right away, he said, this is going to change the game of baseball. Um, I firmly believe it. It's, it's been a, a pretty darn tough road to get, you know, to where we are. Um, and then the, the cost effective thing, um, you know, we've got some changes going on and, and um, you know, that's, it's not a, the biggest thing that I want to do is give back and, and keep kids in the game. And then, like I said, you know, pay for kids to play sports that can't afford it because again, I was sponsored to play growing up and um, I don't know where I'd be today if, you know, if I didn't have those opportunities. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll probably start some, uh, some programs where, you know, maybe we help colleges raise money or um, I've helped with uh, RBI Atlanta, RBI Metro, um, you know, helped a lot of their minority athletes for training and things like that. So, and then always keeping guys like Steve Hayward in mind because, you know, he had some people sponsor my lessons because, you know, at, at that time I, I couldn't afford it. So, um, yeah, that's the, the number one driver behind the product. And, um, yeah, we look forward to making a, a cost-effective youth version and then uh, helping out with some programs. What, what, somebody wants to order now roughly the cost and also um, the youth one, when you foresee that coming out. So the, the cost for the current one is at 229 and it's going to last a pretty long time. I wanted to make sure there were no fail safes built into it. Um, I know when products usually come out, they'll make sure, you know, something gives out, but I want it to last as long as possible. Um, with the youth version, we've been trying to source uh, some local manufacturers and it's a, it's a pretty tough process. Um, there's so much with, with trademarks, patents, but then also, um, you know, developing the product, finding, you know, finding out the material science, what's going to last sure. um, because it's going to go through a lot of repetitions. It's going to be in the sun. It's going to have sweat. Uh, we've got some that we've put through the washer and dryer probably close to hundred times by now. Um, so we haven't, we haven't got the cost for that yet, but it's, it's definitely going to be a lot less um, than the current version because, you know, it is kids and we want it to be on as many arms as possible. And we even, we've had um, some interesting offers from big companies to, you know, to buy in. And they said, the first thing we wanted to do was, you know, jack the price way up. And I said, well, you know, that's, that's not really something I want to do. And even talking to, um, you know, the, it was Oakland athletics, I think it was their trainer or orthopedic surgeon. He said, you know, I was a little skeptical because the price was low. I said, well, the reason is we're a new product. I want to get it out there on arms, help people. And then, you know, if our costs go up, we can address that later. But for now, you know, I want to make sure that we can get it on as many arms as we can and, and uh, keep people doing what they love. Yeah, and you know, and at the higher levels, you know, the cost sometimes is not a major issue. I mean, we're not talking about an expensive product here, or it's very inexpensive, you know. And if you're talking about major league, you know, minor league players, I mean, this is something, uh, you know, college, high school, this is something that's going to help you tremendously. And like you said, if we if you can get the cost really down with the young kids, um, a youth model, that would be fantastic. Um, again, Jason, this is awesome. You gave us an hour and a half. You gave us a lot of time. Normally, it's an hour. Really appreciate it. 
outstanding stuff. Uh, we'll get everything on the show notes. We'll get, get the show out. Looking forward to getting everything out on this, and then we'll have you back on, man. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you very much. I had a great time. All right, Jason Calloran, again, the inventor of the Kinetic Arm and also the owner of Elite Edge Training Center in Atlanta. Um, what a great show. Thank you. Thank you to Jason. Thanks to Brian Crock, our producer with the Lineup Media Group. Thank you to everybody listening in the U.S. and around the world, over in 100 countries. Keep spreading the great word if you can. That's all we ask. It's a free show. We just want to get the word out. Um, as we get the word out, the show grows uh, and then we're allowed to reach more people and help more people out there. So again, folks, everybody, first of all, pray for everybody in Ukraine. Uh, the war is still going on or the invasion, I should say. And also, uh, you know, don't forget, we got Russian uh, friends also that have family in Ukraine. Pray for them. God bless everybody. Don't forget, stay healthy, be safe. And God bless you all. We'll see you on the next show. This has been Baseball Outside the Box with Peter Caliendo. Listen online at BaseballOutsideTheBox.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and all major podcast outlets. Join the conversation on Facebook and Twitter. Get all of our podcasts now at LineUpMedia.fm. This podcast was a presentation of LineUpMedia.fm.